I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're taking a look ahead to some of the events that are going to be moving markets and shaping investment decisions in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means asking whether we can really call an end to the financial crisis. What sort of autumn is in store for stock market investors? Will Tesla finally get its mass production Model 3 onto the roads this month? And finally, is this investment guru really the man to give you management advice? I was kind of wild then and it was New Year's Eve and I got drunk and he got drunk and, you know, we did that. Um, and I, I punched him. I didn't get fired for that. Well, more about that later. This week, I'm joined in the studio here in London by Alexandra Freen, a business columnist at The Times, Callum Jones, our stock markets reporter, and on the line from New York, James Dean, US business editor of The Times. Welcome to you all. James, let's start with you over there in New York City. You covered the US Federal Reserve decision to hold rates and, and perhaps more importantly, to begin unwinding a rather gargantuan 4.5 or $4.5 trillion asset purchase programme. Just let's listen to a clip of what Janet Yellen, the Fed chairwoman, said first. We also decided that in October we will begin the balance sheet normalization program that we outlined in June. This program will reduce our securities holdings in a gradual and predictable manner. James, it's been, what, almost nine years now since the Fed started buying assets and probably to save global capitalism, some people think. Do you think what Janet Yellen said really does signal the end of the financial crisis? And, and perhaps how is it going to work, more importantly? I think it's, that's an interesting one, actually. It, it's, it's certainly a historic moment, and, and it does appear to signal the end of the financial crisis. But there's a few people worried that, while it might not cause another crisis, this kind of unwinding of the huge asset purchasing program that was, you know, three phases of quantitative easing, it might actually cause some disruption of its own. So... We're not yet clear exactly what's going to happen. And the Fed's starting very, very slowly. Um, it's uh, it's going to it's going to slowly try and accelerate this program over time so that there isn't too much disruption to to the markets. Um, but yes, no, a few people certainly are worried about it. And Jen, Janet Yellen even alluded um, when she was talking about it. You know, when she was talking about kicking this off in in October, she alluded to the fact that the Fed would stop um, would stop this process of unwinding. Uh, and, and selling off and you know, getting rid of parts of its balance sheet because um, it didn't want to disrupt markets. So if economic conditions all of a sudden deteriorated, then it would stop doing it. So this, I mean, the, the problem with this is, is that this has never happened before. I mean, the scale of quantitative easing, that kind of thing had never happened before. And unwinding it 
you know, it has never happened before. So in terms of the effect it might have, uh, we don't know yet. It probably won't, most people think, cause another financial crisis, but it could cause volatility, certainly. And what's also going to be interesting down the line is how other central banks around the world follow suit, because the Fed is the, um, it's the first of all of the big central banks to actually uh, start this unwinding process. Yeah, I, I agree with James. Is that I think the chances of it causing major um, instability are quite low. This has been telegraphed for literally years um, that this unwinding of of the portfolio, and even you know they're they're just going to do. I think it's like ten billion dollars a month, which is a, a very small amount from a four point five trillion dollar uh, portfolio. And and still by the end of it, they're aiming to have about three trillion dollars. I mean, these are enormous sums of money. They will go slowly. Janet Yellen is so cautious. She's shown us that uh, just at the by the slow way. Uh, she's moved to increase rates. And I can't believe there isn't anybody on Wall Streets and in the markets that are involved with this that hasn't already drawn up plans A, B and C for what to do as the unwinding starts. Callum, you're nodding your head there. Well, precisely, the markets the markets have known this has coming for some time. The, 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 main, the main reaction we've seen over recent days has actually been to the, around the, the talk of, a, of another rate rise later this year. So you've seen some of the financials uh, back on the rise, particularly in London. Uh, Barclays did quite well because low rates have put pressure on their margins over the past couple of years. So, so And we saw the other week when the Bank of England was talking about a possible rise over here as well, that banks were rising again. So so that's been the main response on the markets rather than what they already knew was coming. James, I remember 18 months, two years ago when the tapering was first muted, there was the so-called taper tantrum. Any chance that they'll throw their toys out at the prime over there on Wall Street again? Well, they haven't so far. And as Callum mentioned, this has been well telegraphed to the market, I think, uh, I mean, certainly since June this year when the plans were first laid out and before then when the Fed started talking about this uh, this unwinding process. So the temper tantrum was really quite a sharp reaction. Obviously, this was going back to when, when Ben Bernanke was talking about reducing the third phase of quantitative easing. And um, that caused severe shocks in terms of, you know, stock market fall. Also, you know, uh, bond yields kind of spiked at the time, caused all sorts of problems. But um, I think this time the Fed the Fed is fully aware of what happened uh, back then and has been extremely careful in the way it's gone about uh, making sure everyone in the market knows what's going to happen and also extremely careful about doing this very, very slowly. As, as Alex mentioned, um, we're talking very small kind of figures to start off with in terms of, you know, what is a gargantuan uh, balance sheet of four and a half trillion dollars that will accelerate as time goes on. But also, the, uh, as Janet Yellen said, clearly she has the flexibility to stop this whenever she wants so that there aren't any shocks to the market. So I, I don't think at the moment we'll see anything of that degree. But, uh, you know, as be, you, you never know quite what's going to happen. At the moment, I'm struggling to keep track of what President Trump has said about Janet Yellen this week. I mean, he seems to be still playing her hot and cold eight months after he, the, the inauguration. And I just wonder if she if she is moved out of that job or whether she does leave uh, over over the coming over the coming years, uh, what that might do in, ter- in terms of this programme, whether that might completely change things. And we might be having a very different conversation in, in, in not so in the not so distant future i think the program as laid out so far will be continued whatever happens to her at the start of next year i think it's the end of february that she's that her term expires um obviously we still do have on the table the prospect of her serving another term kind of a bit of a surprise that president trump gave us earlier this year when he talked about the fact that he likes low interest rates and that that uh, Janet Yellen had done a good job. 
Um, also, obviously, the other main contender and the, the person that pe most people think will get the Fed chair job in February next year is Gary Cohn, who is uh, Mr. Trump's closest economic advisor. He used to be he was second in command to Lloyd Blankfein at Goldman Sachs before he went to the White House. So I think Mr. Cohn is, is pretty much is, is fairly pragmatic. I'm fairly sure that he would have uh, certainly had. I don't know if he had some kind of input on these plans, but he's certainly been able to digest these plans. I, I certainly haven't seen any uh, any kind of words from the White House or, or from him about this being a bad idea. It's all seems to have gone over fairly smoothly. So I think once the plan's put in place and if it seems to be working and there's no shocks to markets and there certainly haven't been so far, then yeah, I think we'll we'll see it over time that it will uh, it'll probably go ahead as planned. Whoever's in in, in the chair. So, I mean, summing up briefly, James, then no reason, certainly from where you're sitting over there, for investors to be worried. I mean, apart from obviously the unexpected shocks, but everything at the moment would put the US economy on track to be growing at a reasonable rate and still offering decent investment opportunities, even though the markets seem to be at ridiculous record highs. 42nd so far this year for the Dow. Oh, indeed, yes. I mean, the record highs, again, arguably have been actually caused by... Uh, this huge asset purchasing program and, and the kind of similar ones taken, uh, similar ones put in place across uh, by the central banks across the world. I don't think, as we've seen, there haven't been any shocks so far. There hasn't been any particular movement in the market so far. So we don't think there's anything to fear at the moment. A few people are saying, well, that's fine now. But when the program ramps up, when this balance sheet shrinking program accelerates, then maybe that's the kind of time that we will um, see some problems and see a bit of volatility. But there hasn't been anything to fear up until this point. And the fact that the Fed is even doing this right now is a signal that they think the economy is strong enough to withstand this program. So I, I think for the moment, there's not too much to worry about. OK, well, we'll leave markets and the Fed and all matters like that uh, alone the moment. Let's uh, hone down. Look at one of the uh, very successful shares been hitting regular highs over there in the United States. Yes, it's Tesla, the electric car maker. It's due, uh, James, I think... I'm right in saying it's mass production Model 3 is due on the roads this month. Are they going to make it? And I have to say, first, of course, we've got uh, in the Elon Musk corner, we have Alexandra Freen. And uh, you are obviously a bit of a sceptic, I have to say. Is that fair? Um, I've, I'm certainly not a sceptic about the man Elon Musk himself. I mean, there's, there's no, you know, there's no way around it. The man is an extremely clever man. You could say he's, he's a genius. He's done some incredible things. And I think... Um, I think with Tesla, he he has kind of an excellent company there, but I've always been a skeptic about his lofty statements about pretty much everything and the company's lofty projections for deliveries and for and for kind of production generally. I mean, he's talking about making half a million cars a year, having never even made a hundred thousand cars in a year, and he's talking about doing that by next year. So by any stretch, that is. They might call it a stretch target in management speak, but I, I might say it's probably not an achievable one. But he may well prove me wrong. Unfortunately, his track record has shown, in terms of the track record, has shown that they're not very good at delivering cars. They're not very good at ramping up production, not very good at delivering cars on time. But who knows? I mean, the demand for the Model 3 is, is, is so high that, and, uh, and the amount of money that is being pumped into development at Tesla in terms of their manufacturing capability is so high. They had a recent bond issue to help finance this as well. So... It's, I mean, I'd hope to be proved wrong because I, I think, you know, electric cars are fantastic and I think they, should, they are the future. But uh, given the kind of lofty, lofty statements in the past, I'm still a bit sceptical. I, th I think a, a, a really interesting uh, way that um, Elon Musk has managed uh, demand uh, surrounding this, this, his first mass-produced car, the, the demand 
it's it's phenomenal. You know, the, the waiting list is more than a year. I've just come back from New York. I was staying with friends who are um, sitting there waiting. They're prepared to wait another 14 months for their car to be delivered. And the reason they're having to wait 14 months for theirs is because they're not getting the high end. So the people who buy the $49,000 version get their cars first. And then if you buy the 43000 or the whatever the lower one is, you get your car later. And, and it's almost a cult-like following amongst these early adopters of Tesla's that they're they're so happy to wait for their car to come and and um you know musk is making car manufacturing is a really low margin business he's clearing easily fifteen thousand dollars of margin on each of these cars he's once he gets it going um i i accept he's not been very good at delivering on his uh promises and, and delivery numbers but once he gets going i really think that um he 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 could get there eventually he's, he's got a show us that he can do it but I, I think there's a very high chance that he will it's one of those stocks which just it doesn't matter who you speak to everyone seems to have an opinion on of it and obviously let's let's not forget it's had a rapid rise over the over the past i think it's seven years since its ipo it floated at 17 dollars. now it's i think last time over 370 so so massive massive rise it's a company which there's a lot of excitement about on wall street and in the city here but also goes back to what james was saying about elon musk he's a man who was followed by people well outside the city as well who people hang off his every word so there's certainly a heck of a lot of excitement about 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 this company whether that whether it can deliver on the substance of course is the key question here and just on this whole issue of electric cars I, I would recommend everyone out there to read the column that uh, our colleague Robin, Robin Pagnamenta has written about the market for electric cars. It's absolutely fascinating take looking at the market for secondhand electric cars and how it's actually hampered by the fact that the, the batteries, the lithium batteries, sort of lose shelf life with time. And it means that the value of secondhand cars is, is much, much less proportionately than it would be for a, a diesel or a normal petrol car. And that's holding back growth of this market. It's full of really interesting facts like that. And I think it, it does remind those enthusiasts like myself that would like to see this electric car market expand really rapidly, that it's actually going to be a very slow um, expansion. But reason to hope then, James, over their final thought on it, Tesla is in some ways uh, going to deliver on its promise then, in part. Yeah, no, of course it has, no, because a few people have test driven them. So reaction so far has been very positive, as as you'd expect. Um, I haven't driven a Model 3 myself, but I have driven um, the kind of the saloon car, which was the the more expensive it was the more expensive p100d and uh, you know within about half an hour of driving it i thought to myself why on earth isn't everyone driving an electric car this thing is putting out no pollution on the streets i'm driving on it was a wonderful drive um the uh, the the the, the, the help with the self-driving technology on it as well in terms of the lane changing technology on the motorway in terms of you know the self-parking facility even just down to the fact that it was just a nice interior in the car i mean these are great, they're great products. You know, the iPhone is a great product. That's why everyone buys them. And it's, you know, it may well be that the Model 3 is of that kind of, that kind of standard. You know, it's, it is the iPhone of, um, of, of, of electric cars, but it remains to be seen. I mean, I think they're probably likely to have production issues as they, as they ramp up production to this huge goal of half a million a year. But I'm, I'm still quite excited to try one, to be honest. Goodness me. Dreams are shattered. I thought he was a boy racer. He's not now. He's fully converted. Or they're fast. They're fast. Those cars. They're, they're, they're fast, really they? fast. Well, yeah. They're, they're for it. To, they go north to. I think it's north to sixty miles an hour. And uh, the fastest ones go north to sixty miles an hour 
in just over three seconds when you've got the ludicrous speed mode enabled, which is faster than many, you know, 100,000, 200,000 pound sports cars. Well, it's me that needs to be converted. Clearly, I'll go on a course. There must be one about it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, finally, let's have a bit of fun. Um, Alexandra, you've been looking at a book, Principles by uh, Ray Dalio, the founder of Bridgewater Associates. Um, I been reading he's the most successful hedge fund manager ever um, he recently uh to say sat down with henry blodgett on uh, business insider uh, and it was his voice you heard at the top of the podcast here's another clip i think it's important i know that uh the key to my success has not been so much what i know as much as how i deal with my not knowing I mean, that's basically a big theme of the book how do you have an idea meritocracy there are only two things that you need to do in order to be successful the first is you have to know what the right decisions to make are, and then you have to have the courage to make them. That was Ray Dalio there with Henry Blodgett on the Business Insider website. Uh, Alex, I've perhaps uh, been a little bit selective with the Ray Dalio clips, but um, just explain why he should strike a chord with investors. Well, Ray Dalio is an extraordinary man. He's very unusual. Bridgewater Associates, his hedge fund, operates almost like a cult. It has its own way sort of of group think that all the employees are um, obliged to follow and they get kicked out uh, if they don't. It, it goes under this name of radical truth or radical transparency. And it means that you are expected to share your very blunt assessments of your colleagues' behaviour and their performance, their personality, what they say uh, to them, to their face, all the time, on an ongoing basis. And if you don't do that, you get in trouble. And if you're not very open about anything you do, you will get sort of hauled up in front of uh, your bosses and questioned. There was one very famous case when um, one employee had lied about typing an email versus actually dictating it. And she got dressed down, you know, in front of the whole staff. There, There's this sort of homework that they have to do. They have to rate their colleagues on 75 different attributes 15 times a week. And these generate baseball cards where everyone's given a score. So... Ray Dalio thinks this is how you do business. He thinks this is how you run your workplace. He has a very high turnover because not everyone can hack it. Um, he's currently the subject of a couple of lawsuits from former employees you who say they've been uh, uh, browbeaten. And, oh, he also has this other thing called, it's a ritual they call public hangings. And they don't actually... They don't actually it's worse. <laughs> they don't actually hang people, but they take you know members of staff to task in front of their colleagues. 
So it's odd. And, and interestingly, what Ray Dalio has done, he, these are his principles, and he's now published them in a, in a book that's available for everyone who wants to immerse themselves in this cult-like behavior. So you can buy it. It's published by Simon & Schuster out this week. It's called Principles by Ray Dalio. And um, frankly, I wouldn't waste your money on it because I think it's it, it it's just bonkers way to run a business. He has been very successful in the past. He's you lost- have to say that, though, don't you? I mean, at the end of the day, we'd be saying he is bonkers and it sounds awful. But on the other hand, he is hugely successful. Well, he is, although recently he has been much less successful. Ah, recently. there is a flaw then. Um, and, and also, I'm sorry, but making money isn't the only point of companies. They're there to create jobs to keep the wheels of society turning they're not just there to screw people and make their employees miserable that's a very odd way to look at the world i assume also by by publishing this book and by going through the process of having of writing down all the uh, all these rules and releasing them in the in, into the public domain he's he's trying to he's trying to claim that the culture at, at this company is also the secret or the or the driver behind its success is there any is there any proof behind that well, he would say, yes, there is. He For many years, he was the most successful hedge fund. So, yes, he would say, I mean, he's always had them written down. They've just, they were in a book that you had to sort of virtually memorise if you worked there. Um, it's just it, only now is it being sort of published in a, in a form for, for the general public. And not only that, but he, he's developed some apps now. There's something called the Dot Collector, which uh, is an app which employees can use to rate each other on their phones, and something called the Pain Button, where um, you can record emotions like anger or frustration. And I guess, I don't know, maybe that gets shared with your colleagues as well. I think he's just trying to make more money, frankly, and get a bit more. He loves the attention. He absolutely loves the attention. Right, on that very happy note, huh? Thank you all. And don't forget, watch out for financial updates. There's a large number of uh, stock market mid-sized companies reporting in the, in the next few days. Ferro Petroleum and uh, Tissue Regenics, a great deal of biotech companies, I notice. There's that and, of course, all the other news and analysis you can uh, find online, phones, tablets and in the paper. And if you'd like to become a subscriber and aren't already, then sign up at thetimes.co.uk. And then you'll also receive our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins, well worth having. If you want to hear us weekly, just subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Alexandra Freen and Callum Jones in the studio. Let's give them all top scores. And James Dean over there in New York. Jury's out, I'm afraid, James. They are on Twitter, though, so you can keep up to date with the story. Do follow them. And please join us again next week. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.